Good day, good day. Welcome to episode three of just another NBA podcast. I'm the host Jackson, and today I want to uh, just quickly breeze over a few of these playoff matchups, and then really focus on the good old fun of the uh, Lakers versus Blazer turmoil that I'm sure a lot of us uh, saw transpire today. Oh boy, oh, I'm gonna have a field day with that one, fellas. Um, I'm just going to run through some things that I noticed in some of these games. Um, one thing that did annoy me in the Celtics and 76ers matchup was there was an instance where Al Horford came down uh, attempting to uh, sort of just hold uh, Jalen Brown. It was meant, he, he was just trying to stop the scoring, stop any sort of momentum they can gain from it. And um, he came down with both his arms hit. Jalen Brown in the torso and the arms. Jalen Brown then proceeded to fall onto the floor and hold his face. Big hit in the face. There, there was no, there was no evidence of any face being touched anywhere, unless someone scratched their nose. There was not even on that court. There was nothing. There was no evidence that he got hit in the face because he didn't. He didn't get hit in the head. Didn't get hit anywhere above the shoulders. But he proceeded to land on the floor and hold his face like a crying child. This then proceeded with the refs to go and check the tape. And since his Oscar award-winning uh, performance, they gave a tech. Well, they gave a flagrant. For no reason. There, there was absolutely no reason for a flagrant to be called in that situation. And that, that, that's, that's, what I, that's one thing that I hate. Like, I'm, I'm all for people selling fouls, selling contact, sure. But if you're hit in the face, you grab your face. If you're not hit in the face, don't hold your head like someone elbowed you in the temple. It, it, it annoys me. It's the one thing, like I, I know that a lot of people have their issues when it comes to stuff like play, like James Harden <clears throat> selling his fouls and acting and all this type of stuff and LeBron James where everyone complains about his flopping. I don't care about that. That is, that's, that's being smart with the ball. And all they do is they get touched and they extenuate the, the contact. They're not crying on the ground, they're not rolling around. I mean, it, whenever I see it, it always reminds me of that Lance Stevenson thing when he was in Indiana, and I believe he was playing against, I want to say Miami, but I feel like it's just because every time I think of Lance Stevenson in, in Indiana, I always think of those Miami Heat matchups. But where he's on the floor, and he, he looks like he's like hyperventilating, and he's really hurt, then he gets up and runs down the court because he was just almost having a laugh. And I think it's one of the things that I really bloody hate is when these people complain and look like they've been stabbed when, in matter of fact, the dude just sort of hit you in the stomach, maybe? In the chest? On the arms? Come on, mate. It's bloody ridiculous. Get, get that nonsense out of here. I'm trying to keep these things at least uh, somewhat clean language, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep what I actually want to say to them to myself. Um... But in that same game, you got uh, you got you got the big fella Embiid, who I think needs to diversify his uh, his offensive tool set that he's got with him. He's he does the same move I want to say seventy five percent of the time. And uh, stop me if you've uh, seen seen this happening. He'll get the ball <clears throat> probably on the perimeter, uh, usually at about the elbow ish of the three point line. Like right there, not in, not in the dead corner of the court, but sort of at the uh, the corner of the three point one, 
until he'll pump fake. No one ever jumps. The dude's a shaky three-point shooter at best. I think he's a 30% three-point shooter. No one jumps because no one. everyone knows that if he shoots it, he's most likely going to miss. No point jumping at it. He then proceeds to drop both his shoulders, take a few dribbles in, and depending on the defender, he'll either keep dribbling in and driving in and trying to get contact, or he'll just jump and jump up from the mid-range and attempt to hit that, which he'll most likely miss because he's not a good jump shooter. And one thing that I did really notice in this is that Brett Brown needs to become a better coach. You're down your man that helps sort of conduct the offense, so adjust your your sort of starting five and your 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 rosters and build better. I mean, the the main way without Ben Simmons being there, without him being the facilitator and being this type of uh, offense creator, is do four in one, four out one in. Have him beat in the post. Have Horford at the top of the key. Have always have Horford around the top of the key to have the, be a blower foul for Joel Embiid if he feels like he can't do it. But you basically just pound the post. And then they'll eventually double team because there's not many plays in this league that can truly stop Embiid when he's in the post. And when they double team, you find the shooter. So you generally have guys around him like Richardson, Harris, uh, Mars, uh, Milton, whoever else on that team can shoot, Al Horford, whoever. Um, and then you'll spread the floor and you'll be able to conduct an offense that way. You're basically betting on the fact that you'll either tire the other team out or you'll find the open looks. I'm not even a basketball mind and I get that. Like it, he, he randomly plays with two in, three out and it, just doesn't, it doesn't make sense with Embiid's toolkit. It doesn't make sense with half the guy's toolkit. It just, ugh, it just annoys me sometimes to watch that team. But um, <clears throat> just moving on, we've got Donovan Mitchell's big game, uh, third in all-time scoring when it comes to individual games. Uh, yeah, it's, it's great, but it just goes to show with them losing just how offensively lacking they are. Outside of him, they've got Jordan Clarkson off the bench, and I mean, if he's your, your second-best offensive option, you're going to have issues. I see the overpowering Denver offense continuing to steamroll them. And, uh, the, that's, that series just seems really bloody boring to me. Uh, moving on, you got that horrendous Pazingas uh, bloody technical and ejection. That was disgusting. That was horrible. It completely took all the fuel out of Dallas's wings. I don't know if it was some weird ploy to make sure the Clippers win because they just seemed disengaged and seemed like they didn't really care about the game. And it seems to happen quite often that they just don't really care. Um... And moving on from that, I mean, I don't really have anything else to say. Luke is fantastic. Oh, yeah, who would have, who would have known? Um, moving on to the Orlando and Milwaukee, it's exactly what I said uh, would happen. All you needed was Orlando to have a really good shooting night, especially from the perimeter, and they were going to win. Um, I, didn't, I didn't really see it happening, but there was always that possibility, and they did. Milwaukee did have a very off game. They were down, basically, in all their statistics, and especially the advanced statistics did not favor them at all that game. They just had a very, very bad game. I'm sure they'll pick it up. They'll use this as uh, fuel to continue going, and this will most likely be a gentleman's sweep at 4-1. But I just want to move on to the, uh, <coughs> the, the main event here. And it was thinking that I've actually already spoken about in the first episode of this podcast, and that's, that's the, the Lakers versus Trailblazers. 
Now, a lot of people told me that the skill sets of Anthony Davis and LeBron would be too much. You have one of the greatest to ever do it, and then you have another absolute top-tier talent. It's going to be too much. Too much for these trailblazers. Outside of Dame, they got nothing. Oh, yeah, they might have some big men, but they're not going to do anything. Pretty sure this game outlined everything that I was saying. This matchup is a nightmare for the Lakers. Absolute bloody nightmare. I mean, just to go off what went wrong for this Lakers team, they shot 5 from 32 from 3, which is 15.6%. And I think I saw a stat that said that's the second worst ever. Ever. The apparent title favourites have a, the second worst ever 3-point shooting percentage so far. That's not a good sign. When you have players like Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, they shot 13 three-pointers and made two of them, and both of those twos were from Danny Green, someone who we all expect to be a sharpshooter. We expect him to be hitting his threes. That's not hitting your threes. That's honestly quite concerning, especially when they have guys on their roster like J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters, who they brought in for shooting, and then I don't know if they forgot that they had them. I mean, Dion Waiters showed that he could still shoot. He had some really good bubble games, but he got, I think it was, one minute playing time. The guy on the roster that you brought in to shoot the ball when you're having a bad shooting night, you think you'd bring him in. One thing that I did notice, which I did already assume would be the case, this Blazers team doesn't know how to rebound. And I mean, when you're running, especially when you have Zach Collins out, who's your other seven-footer that you play at power forward, and you're now running Carmelo Anthony. Yeah, Carmelo, as much as he's going to scream and shout when he tries to get the rebound and tell everyone to get the hell out of there, he's not a good rebounder. I mean, in this game, he wasn't exactly the greatest offensive player. He did he had a very bad shooting night. But he was able to make up for it in helping in other situations. He had a pretty decent game facilitating. He was he had some weirdly bright spots on defense, which I'm really not used to seeing from Melo. But having Melo at the four, I think that the Lakers should be moving AD to center as much as he always publicly complains about it. If he plays at centre, this team unlocks a different style of play and being able to outrun almost anyone. And then you play LeBron James at power forward. They're not going to get any rebounds. I mean, LeBron James isn't exactly the greatest offensive rebounder in the world, but he's able to get good position and he's able to be a big body. So why don't they do that? Why don't they utilise these different size and skill matchups that they have against them especially when it comes to the skillfulness of LeBron James, especially with the ball, and allow him to sort of flourish in this role against defenders that are quite poor. I mean, this, this Portland Trailblazers team has maybe two decent defenders. That's it. They're, they're not a good defensive team. And <laughs> this Lakers team is meant to have some offensive firepower. They're just not showing it, especially in this first game. I mean, I'm pretty sure LeBron's back must be bloody sore. The man quite literally carried these guys for four quarters, had them right there, and then they just couldn't capitalise. 
And the one thing that you do really notice watching this team play is LeBron James doesn't trust anyone else on this roster outside of AD. I mean, to be fair, I wouldn't trust Kyle Kuzma. The dude's absolutely useless. The only thing he's good for is corner threes. But he, he plays like he's the greatest offensive talent. Dude went five from four, five from fourteen, one from five from three. The dude is quite literally useless outside of that corner. I I thought at the time that they should get rid of him uh, when they did that big trade with the Pelicans, but for some reason they decided to keep him. I'll never I'll never understand why. He's just not he's just not a good player. And you can tell me that he had this game winning shot a couple of days ago. You can tell me that he's had a few all good offensive games. But he is a below-average player at almost everything, except for scoring. He's a crap defender. He's not efficient. He's not a facilitator. He had zero assists this game. And I understand that the offense goes to LeBron James, but he's not a facilitator. He doesn't bring anything outside of very inefficiently gotten points. It's disgusting. And funnily enough, the player that I sort of put him on in, I sort of compare him to with the Blazers is Mario Hazonia because they both have the same issue if they hit shots early on they never stop shooting if these guys come out of the gates and hit one or two threes they think that they have the hottest hand in the world and then they'll end up missing the next seven they are quite literally the reasons that teams lose these over cocky average offensive players who think they're better than they are. I don't know what you're going to do with him. It's, it's too late now to really change anything. What this team needs to do is focus on either controlling the rebounds and hunting those second chance points as well as protecting your own, uh, your own rim or capitalize on the mismatches of having LeBron James at either power forward to go against Melo and his very shaky defense or you try to use the size difference between him and Gary Trent and try to use it as a bulldozer. But I think that Gary Trent, whilst he's not some prolific defender, he's a good enough defender to at least slow LeBron down in that sense. Obviously, he's not going to slow him down in the sense of Kawhi Leonard or Andre Iguodala in the finals, where they were able to sort of control him. Um, but if the Blazers are able to keep LeBron as a passer instead of a scorer... No, if... Sorry... If, if they're able to keep LeBron as a scorer instead of a facilitator, I think that is definitely the way to go with combating this Lakers team. Because it, it's, it's, it's similar to guys like Stockton and Nash, except obviously on different levels, and the kid and all these guys. If you take away their ability to orchestrate the offense and make them run the offense through themselves, the ability to get other players going gets limited. And it ends up being just LeBron with 30, 40 points and the rest of his team not performing as well because they're not getting the ball in their hands. They're not really doing as much as they generally would do when he's becoming the facilitator. But at the end of the day, I do, I do still have the Lakers winning this series. I do think that the, just the sheer talent level of LeBron James and Anthony Davis is too much for a lot of teams. It'll be until you get to the, the this conference finals and the, the actual finals if they do get that far that they'll, they'll start to fall apart when a lot of these more talented teams are going up against them who have the tools to sort of close down these two players. Um, but this game is not a good sign. If they, if they continue to play like this, 
they're going to be they're going to make history and everyone's going to hate LeBron and it's going to be another theme that people use to dwarf LeBron's greatness. But man, today was fun for me to watch when I knew I was right. Ah, oh, it's a great feeling to know you're right, isn't that? Isn't that the bloody truth? Um, so yeah, I think this is one of the series definitely to pay attention to and to see if they're able to take it up a gear, if they're able to utilise these actual shooters that they have. And I mean, man, they made four three-pointers. Four. Jesus. And you just look you just look down the entire team and there's only two people who shot over 50%. One was JaVel McGee, who was three from five. And the other was Markeith Morris, who was two for two. This team just can't seem to find its offensive foothold, and it's it's concerning. But, as I said, I do still have these guys coming out on top, and I'm very much looking forward to the next couple of games of this series to see if it begins to be competitive, and I'm sure it will be, but we'll have to see. But I'm very much looking forward to seeing the continuation of the Philly-Boston series. Uh, this is definitely one of the tighter series as well as uh, I really am keen to see how Dallas bounces back from their loss. And the other two games for tomorrow, Brooklyn and Toronto, non-factors. Utah and Denver, non-factors. I'm just, I just really want to see the remainder of this Blazers-Lakers series. Um, anyway, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to make it a fairly quick one. Uh, if anyone has any questions or you want to get in contact with me, it's uh, just another NBA page at gmail.com. That's just another NBA page at gmail.com. Shoot me through any questions, shoot me through anything that you guys want to discuss or anything like that. And don't forget to check out my Facebook page, which is just another NBA page on Facebook. Uh, send me through any articles that you've written yourself and we can critique and uh, just get a dialogue going, try to improve each other because that's what this is for. It's for me to improve my basketball knowledge as well as my ability to sort of put it all out there. So uh, thanks everyone who's listening and I'll see you guys in the next one.